0: What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, your week look what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan. I'm here with my co-host Dave Martinson. Dave, it's like 90, 95 where I am, July, baseball's at the All-Star Game, and Childish Gambino dropped two-song summer pack. And I was wondering, what's your song of the summer for 2018?
1: I saw a lot of people saying uh, Boot Up was a song of the summer choice,
0: and I just don't like that song mm. enough. I think I'm
1: in the minority on that, but I yeah. saw that going around. No one wants to say Drake, but I think right now you know, probably He has the big the biggest tracks yeah, right now. Yeah, I think it's so. Drake. Yeah, I mean in my feelings is the song of right now. We'll see how long that lasts.
0: It's capturing the moment kind of like Bodak Yellow did and Black Beatles the year before. The dance definitely helps a yeah, lot. Yeah, just went
1: number 1. His third number 1 of the year.
0: Dude's a machine. It's interesting though cuz usually I feel like there's at least one or two maybe three that you can look at and you're like, "Oh, these are like the songs everybody's listening to," but I think splintering a little bit more and that's probably, you know, we, we've talked about the effect that streaming services have and just the fact that people have access to different mm-hmm. music. They don't have to rely on the radio and you know, having their, their taste catered to as much.
1: Kind of like last year, I guess. I think Bodak Yellow really started taking off around this time. Uh, Despacito is out by now. I mean, this year you yeah, have I Like It by Cardi. That song was number one until Drake just... Yeah thrown that but that that song will be around all summer i don't know how different it feels from last year but yeah i mean to your point anything can really take off in theory with streaming so it's still not over though we always forget that like july's when bodoc took off so you got to give it more time to really make an assertion but yeah i guess drake and cardi are in the lead right now
0: yeah i mean we're more than halfway done with july so it's crazy because i feel like sooner rather than later we'll probably be talking about our our fall preview which just always feels crazy to be moving into like the last third or fourth of the year. We got a lot to talk about today though. We got a couple albums. Sorry to bother you. We're gonna start off with some Emmy nominations. Before we jump into any of that, please subscribe on YouTube. Go to SoundCloud.com slash Give us any feedback on iTunes with a rating and review. And also hit us up on Twitter at Japod. We just posted a little while ago about the first poster for Aquaman. what did you think of that poster?
1: I actually thought it looked really good.
0: I mean, J- Jason Momoa is awesome.
1: That's a movie that has a lot of technical hoops to jump through being underwater and whatnot and James Wan even spoke about the challenge of that so I mean, I'm really interested to see what it looks like because I thought the Atlanta scenes in Justice League which definitely didn't have as much time put into them as the Aquaman scenes will I thought those Atlanta scenes were just okay that like look can't fly when it's most of the movie so i'm uh, looking forward to that it's funny san diego comic-con's this weekend and that's probably the biggest pop we're gonna get from it is the first aquaman trailer because no game of thrones there no west world there marvel's taking a year off they're not there at all just letting infinity war and ant-man take them through the year so aquaman will probably take over the weekend due to lack of competition from comic-con so we'll report back on that next week
0: it's a good moment for dc hopefully they can put out a good trailer capture that moment my favorite tweet related to the Aquaman poster was someone putting Vinny Chase's face on it (laughs) which I just found hilarious you know you mentioned though Westworld and Game of Thrones both of those got a shit ton of Emmy nominations dude 22 for Thrones 21 for Westworld Handmaid's Tale wasn't far behind we talked about what we wanted to see mm-hmm. maybe some predictions for the nominations last week what stood out to you or what trends did you notice with the nominations that came out
1: this is an interesting field in which case there's a lot of like stuff stays the same with the Emmys and stuff kind of is new and anywhere you look with that you can kind of pick up on that trend the big headline that people were throwing out was that Netflix was the most nominated network 112 overall for uh, HBO with 108 HBO had been the most nominated network for 18 years in a row up until now. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, oh, Netflix taking over and you know, conveniently timing with that uh, HBO new strategy that we talked about last week from uh, coming up from their uh, higher ups at Time Warner, right? And mm-hmm. honestly, like, if you do like the math on this, Netflix puts out so much more content than HBO. We always say they're a quantity over quality place. So I feel like in theory, they are bound to just get the nominations because obviously, they have all that money they're going to push and promote them, their shows, whether they're deserving or not. And then also, I think what the real difference is, is that uh, last year, HBO got a lot of noms from a uh, limited series, Big Little Lies, right? This year, HBO did not have one of those, but who did? Netflix had Godless, the Western with Jeff Daniels. Yeah. So uh, that's really the difference in, in uh, you know the breakdown. And on the other end of the, the streamers, last year, Who became the first streamer to have the outstanding best drama with Handmaid's Tale. And you look now, and Hulu is in second to last with only twenty-seven nominations, and Amazon's in last with twenty-two. Netflix's dominance over those two is still very obvious, even the fact, despite the fact that Hulu got the you know more prestigious award last year. I f- I find this interesting that you know people are trying to jump to all these conclusions with Netflix when I think it's really just a numbers game.
0: Yeah, it's interesting too how how they can market these things because obviously everybody wants to say you know Emmy nominated series, mm-hmm. Emmy nominated actor. Um, but if you think about Hulu, you know, who you said is way behind Netflix, they probably have two shows that are, have a better chance to win than most Netflix's shows. And you, know, you look at Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and Handmaid's Tale. I think that, you know, Rachel Brosnahan definitely. Well, Maisel's on Prime, show. but
1: same, uh, to your point. Oh, sorry.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, sorry. I, I got confused. But there. you're right. Um, but yeah, Handmaid's Tale, um, uh, uh, Elizabeth Moss will probably have a chance of repeating mm-hmm. Um, has a shot at Best Drama again. Um, but yeah, Netflix is just going for that. that those numbers, get those, those nominations. Yeah, up.
1: just all that market share. Yeah, it's, um, um, it's interesting.
0: Something I saw a lot of people tweeting about was particularly the best comedy category mm-hmm. um, and how stacked it is, uh, which I think is actually interesting for two reasons. One, I think it's just a really interesting race to look at um, what, what shows are on there. Um, what, what didn't get on, uh, like for example, Good Place, I thought could have taken a spot over like Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt or even Curb, which yep. I think just got the, um, like generation up, but what are your thoughts on the catch? Yeah, I
1: agree. And it's weird too, cause NBC was actually the third most nominated network. They beat out FX, they had 78. So you would have thought Good Place would have had a, had a lot of that. But yeah, I mean, I thought, I think Good Place, every critic would have picked it over Kimmy Schmidt, even I think Kimmy Schmidt fans mm-hmm aren't as high on the most recent season as they are, if, you know, when the show first started. But I mean, sure. yeah, I mean, whether you look at the acting categories or just overall best uh, outstanding comedy, uh, Atlanta, Barry and Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, like take your pick, you know, it's a really, yeah. really tough. There's a case for all of those. So I think that's going to be fascinating to see what actually pulls ahead because Maisel did get the golden globe nominations and we'll see if that actually carries through. Cause obviously, you know, that was last fall. So, um but yeah definitely stacked and poor uh mike sure but good place was not there
0: (laughs) yeah i mean uh ted danson still got uh best supporting nomination Mm -hmm. and i i think he actually might have like a decent chance in that i mean he's a a generational talent he's been around forever everybody loves him he's great on the show so i think he might actually have a, a okay chance at that one um interesting for a show that you talked about i didn't watch it i'm not i've been planning on at some point getting caught up on a twin peaks so it got i think it was nine nominations yep. for a lot of those in writing and and directing um but it got snubbed in two major categories first i mean obviously for just for best limited series but then also kyle mclaughlin whose performance throughout the show was like heralded for being yeah. uh, a pretty challenging one considering i think it, i saw one place that he had three parts to play yeah um what do you make of them being left off i mean it doesn't really make sense
1: no it doesn't make sense at all it's freaking really stupid if you ask me I mean, look, <laughs> look look what made it like genius uh picasso yeah. made it the second season <laughs> i not even know that was on. of genius yeah the, no one liked it and like but like <laughs> and, and this is the kind of thing where like you know this happens a lot with the emmys where they just kind of vote for the same thing they're familiar with right Whether because they Mm -hmm. didn't, the voters hadn't seen the new stuff to give it a chance, or that it's just stick with what they're familiar with. This is the first year Modern Family was not nominated for Best Comedy in the history of the show, which is several seasons too late, but about time, right? So, and remember House of Cards and Homeland kept getting nominated well beyond their, uh, you know, peak prestige, right? And Mm -hmm. the fact that Genius, though, gets the, oh yeah, Genius, I liked that last time. Fuck it. You know, Antonio Banderas, he's cool. So, I. Right. And like, but yeah, they, they, it's not that like they didn't watch Twin Peaks, they got nine, you know, at least other, some some parts of the, the Emmy body anyway, but nine awards, I mean, David Lynch got a few of those noms himself, including uh, that amazing black and white episode, which is the best episode of the season, so I just, and Kyle McLaughlin, yeah, I mean, he he was great, he was really great, and yeah, limited series is often tough, but not, this year isn't that bad, I don't think it's it, w- it was going to be that competitive, and I, I just, it just sucks that, like, you know, maybe because it came out last year, it's a little old hat for the people. You know how the calendar works, but, or maybe it's just Showtime's fault for not promoting it enough. I don't know, but it shouldn't need to be promoted. It was a lot of TV critics' number one or top five show of the year, you know? So that's disappointing, but at least it wasn't like totally, totally overlooked, you know, the way like, like Young Pope, did Young Pope even get any nominations last year? It got very few. Um,
0: try, If it did, it it didn't win anything for sure. A show
1: like The Terror this year on AMC, which is really well-liked, didn't really get anything at all. So, you know, that that does happen, and it's disappointing. I mean, I was happy to see uh, Killing Eve, Sandra Oh, got nominated. She's actually the first Asian woman in a lead role in either drama or comedy to ever get nominated, which seems like way too late, obviously. But it didn't get nominated for Best Drama, which a lot of people thought it had a great chance at, and neither did Mindhunter from Netflix. And, you know, this is the first year in several years that a freshman drama was not nominated i mean if you you go back uh last year stranger things first season was nominated year before that mr robot before that better call saul before that true detective before that house of cards that's back in 2013 all the way so this year they kind of just kept everything from last year and then they subbed out uh saul and house of cards for the return of game of thrones and added the americans but stranger things season two and westworld season two Due to familiarity, due to Netflix and HBO pushing, they're still there. And frankly, I don't think any critic would pick either of those seasons over Killing Ever Mindhunter. So you know, this stuff happens, but it's disappointing.
0: Yeah, but shout out the Americans. I think, you know, they got I think it was four big categories that they got nominated yep. in. It was Carrie Russell's there again. Yeah, Carrie Russell and Matt Reese, I think both mm-hmm. got a nomination yep. for their roles, which is great. I mean, this is their this is their last year doing it. So um I hope I hope to see them get some some love at the awards coming up. Um, you know, go, as we're talking about who got in, who didn't, Game of Thrones uh, nominated Amelia Clark and Kit Harrington for Outstanding uh, Lead, right. which is the first time they've done that, and it didn't really work out for them. Neither one of them got nominated, but all the Lannisters did. So thank God for that. <laughs> um, well, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think do you think that that's deserved? Do you think they should have been on there? Yeah, tough I'm, categories. Yeah, I,
1: th- I mean, I think they're all great. I think we've kind of they've kind of been you know keeping Peter Dinklage in almost every year if not all the years i don't quite remember but you know he's like the the peak of Tyrion as a character in terms of delivering great mm-hmm. lines and just letting Dinklage cook was a few seasons ago right so mm-hmm. i guess probably just a fami- film familiarity thing you know the most popular mm-hmm. prestige show people already like voting for it they'll keep voting for it you know um but mm-hmm. yeah it was interesting to see that uh, the dominance didn't uh, totally take over i mean Even the drama stuff, I'm really curious to see how it plays out because Thrones is back this year after not being nominated last year due to when the season took place. And will Handmaid's Tale win again? I know uh, people are definitely down the end of Handmaid's Tale season two. And I mean, could you ever see Westworld season two or Stranger Things season two winning it? Could This Is Us win it? I don't think so. And will they give it to the Americans now of all times for the final season? So like, I really don't know what the front runner is for the drama. And it even permeates down to the actors.
0: Yeah, it's tough. It's, I'm looking through the uh, lead actor in a drama series. I mean, Jason Bateman, Matt Reese, Sterling K. Brown, uh, Milo from This Is Us. I can't say his last name. Ed Demig- Harris. Demiglia. Yeah, and Jeffrey Wright. I mean, I feel like Kit Harrington could have snuck in over one of those people. Like, you know, take Ed Harris out of there, yeah, or take out of Milo. I mean, I feel like either Milo or Sterling K. Brown could have been supporting actors. The way that didn't Milo die. Behind already yeah and he's also in flashbacks which, i mean half the show is flashbacks Uh-oh. but i see um i mean it's it's interesting so uh and jason bateman for ozark i also was surprised but i know that that <laughs> show got a lot of love when it first came out also an older show so you know it seems like Twin peaks not not getting nominated but ozark jason bateman pulls the nominations really interesting another
1: curious thing ozark got five nominations two of which were for directing and got two different directing nominations which is the same as the americans that just seems off to me you know
0: yeah netflix uh netflix uh flexing their muscles yeah. with uh those nominations should have done it
1: for mindhunter though you know yeah. you know it is a
0: couple other <laughs> other notes i made here that i just wanted to kind of shout out things i was either excited for or, or might be interesting to look look at as it approaches keenan thompson for snl i mean snl got like i think four or five ed bryant um Kate mckinnon also got another one but Keenan Thompson, his 15th season on SNL, and he finally gets a nomination. That's pretty awesome. I'm guessing that's probably for his, his role as a, I don't know, Trebek in, in Black Jeopardy, which is a pretty good running bit for <laughs> yeah, them. Yeah, I'm not sure what episode um, it was. <laughs> I, I mean, they did it a lot, which is probably why. Um, John Legend has a chance at uh, securing an EGOT. Which is pretty interesting. He got an Emmy nomination. Yeah, for, for Jesus Christ Superstar. I feel
1: like no one ever talked about him as like in play got, So sh- no, shout out John Legend, former good music artist.
0: Um, Allison Brie got snubbed for Best Actress in a Comedy. Um, again, tough category, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I thought she would definitely get in there. The last thing: Teddy Perkins got five nominations. Mm-hmm. That episode got five nominations. So I mean, if you if for any reason. You've been like oh, I'm not so sure about Atlanta which at this point I don't really know what else I could say yeah. to sell you on it or go you, back and listen to our reviews
1: yeah or if you gave up on it for some reason go back yeah. watch go back watch and teddy first.
0: watch that <laughs> it's definitely uh one of the standouts of the year something we'll be talking about any last thoughts for you anything you wanted to highlight
1: uh no I think uh you know overall I was more happy than I was mad anything things I was yeah. mad about it wasn't like total overlooking like pretty sure certain that mr robot mm-hmm. wasn't getting there this time and mindhunter mm-hmm. probably didn't have much hope so that doesn't really surprise me you know shout out american vandal got a ready nomination it is what it is i <laughs> I,
0: I hope it i hope it, people talk about it a little bit more and go back and watch it it does have a season two coming out which I should be coming out soon see how that yeah. goes.
1: no bojack horseman again the bojack heads hate yeah, that which, no, no love
0: <laughs> i mean you'd think it would make it netflix needs
1: to help they have the push yeah
0: <laughs> For sure. While we move on to some music, though? Let's start with this band, Years and Years, which you me up for the weekend and said, ah, oh, they just dropped this album, getting a lot of love. Let's check it out. Led by Ali Alexander, who's this TV film music star. He's right around our age. Also, a big figure in the gay world right now mm-hmm. that he is like this icon. He leads this band who had, you know, their first album, Communion, came out three years ago. Uh, listening to it, the main thing I took away from it was a very consistent pop sound. You know, a lot of like, like, tropical like house you know in it, in it just very like sure it was good all the way through nothing really stood out i know that you had a few songs that you liked from it the second album palo santo is really interesting because i felt like it went more up and down than than the first one with some some much higher highs for me and, and a lot more lows um what's your what's your feeling around years and years just as a band and, and their their work so far
1: yeah i think the thing that stands out to me through these two records in three years is that the sound really did change for the sophomore album. That's usually not the case mm-hmm. for a, any artist that has a successful first album that gets some love and gets some popularity, you know? But, mm-hmm. I mean, to your point about like the highs and the lows, I think the second half of Palo Santo uh, definitely is more the low end. But they do kind of, you know, trade a bunch of things off. Like It's not always synth-pop. I think the reason they're classified as synth-pop band is because the writing is definitely pop music, you know? and. Oh, yeah and you know it's electronic sounding but i think mm-hmm. you know that electronic sound is much more diverse this time whereas the first one it was almost like like you said like like, like a tropical house vibe it was more um consistent in that regard but you know i think when they when years and years has a song that works well like i think on on uh, this new record uh, karma and all for you in particular i think they're just mm-hmm. you know there's incredibly catchy songs and you know, it's just, just good pop writing, and I think Greg Kurstin was actually involved on this uh, second record, which would make sense.
0: That that guy's got his hands all over everything. It feels like every time we we look to see who produce a like a pop album, he's <laughs> somehow involved in it. Yeah, you, I think you kind of summed up the album well. Like the first half is really inventive, or at least different from their their first one. I don't know if if they they're trying anything super new, but there's a lot to like. You know, a song like uh, Hallelujah. Which maybe the songwriting on that isn't necessarily gonna blow you away. Just the way that that it builds and the way that it like catches you through like into the middle of the song right to the end where it kinda stops just at the right time. I think the energy in that is infectious. Uh Sanctify and Rendezvous were probably the other songs that stood out to me. All off the first half. Um, I feel like when they try to go slower and, and, yeah. and bring the mood down a bit, they, they kind of fall short, so uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they evolve, and it seems like this Ali Alexander guy is someone to really keep an eye on moving forward. I'm, I'm excited that we tapped into this, because I feel like he's going to be uh, a big player moving forward in the pop culture world.
1: Yeah, he just gave a recent interview, I believe it was with Billboard, and he was just talking about um, you know, like underlying like homophobia in the industry, and he's like, yeah, I mean, obviously now they all the execs all say good things, and you have Sam Smith to look at as a successful, openly gay artist, you know? And at the same point, he's like, yeah, but also we'll hear people, you know, used to hear like, uh, oh, that's too far, or that'll, um, that'll turn people off. You know, it's like a roundabout way of saying like, that's too gay. Don't do it that way. So the fact that he's just yeah. pushing out about that and just kind of becoming like this, you know, gay icon in a sense, cool to see. And he's definitely a personality. I don't think he's like, his voice is, you know, fantastic or anything, but I do like, I think his vocal register does move a little bit. When they're at their strengths, when it's up-tempo, you know, I think you can really ride that beat and just sing good pop songs. So, yeah, I agree with you. I'm excited to see where they go next. I believe they have a tour coming up. And you know, they're they're a big uh, UK act, but we'll see how yeah. if or if they really permeate over here.
0: I would love to see their next album be produced by like Disclosure or, sure. some, or like Jamie XX or someone there like that. There you go. To really kind of push their sounds like that next level i feel like that'd be a great lane for them all right so your guy wiz khalifa here i'm calling him your guy because <laughs> i was not gonna listen to this record but i felt like okay i'll give really papers two a chance i know dave probably is gonna listen to it he'll like it i opened and it was 25 songs man
1: 90 fucking <laughs> minutes
0: so my, my relationship to wiz is i mean he's like the new snoop dog i guess that's like the lane he's trying to fill i think he does an okay job he's a likable mm-hmm. enough rapper i don't find him to be anyone that really moves the needle in terms of like wow this is gonna blow me away or i'm gonna like you know be listening to this forever but he's solid and i feel like that's kind of what rolling papers Two is yeah it's bloated yep but it's it's solid you know there's enough there to like enough there to throw away you know i think he had some some nice features on this and he tried a couple things i was surprised this was his first solo album in four years
1: August 2014 was Black Hollywood. That's the album where uh, We Dumb Boys is from, and like he's had a bunch of mixtapes and you know, like a collab project with Juicy J. And then he had a mm-hmm. Khalifa, which was like a compilation album, really just a, a mixtape, came out in early 2016, and then it's called an it album for like for like label reasons you know whatever to satisfy a contract but yeah no it's been a while for him to have a proper release it's his sixth album fourth major label album i've kind of been lukewarm on whiz for a while now just because for someone with such a high profile i mean he really blew up fall 2010 with black and yellow right that led up to the first rolling papers which is his first major label album his first album for most people that ever heard of him and it wasn't quite what people expected, but it also had a bunch of other hits like No Sleep. And, you know, he has these massive songs. I mean, we've said it before, but See You Again with Charlie Booth, the second most viewed yeah. video on all of YouTube, 3.6 billion views. And again, that's probably more of a label creation for the Fast and Furious soundtrack, but still credited as a whiz song. And he has all these songs and he does all these big summer tours. He's on one right now. And despite the fact that he's never brought up as one of the best MCs in the game. No one no one ever thinks that. Even Wiz fans don't bring him up like that. Yeah. Despite the commercial yeah. success and relative longevity. In a sense he's kinda like more he's kinda lot like Big Sean, I guess, where it's just a product of diminishing returns. But yeah. I mean and he's and because of that, the twenty five track bloated ninety minute Game Those no Streams album is a bad fit for Wiz because you know what's going to happen a lot of filler a lot of repetitiveness yeah. stuff we didn't need to hear we've heard a version of that song 10 times already from him you know and but to your point i think there's some good features on here and i think when he does do try things like heck i think the first track on the whole album which you know, it might be hard to remember at this point, but hot now, I think yep. is actually really cool. It kind of reminded me of Weedham Boys because when he gets more melodic and less just trappy, it's kind of fun. I think, um, mm-hmm. Real Rich, which I believe was the second single, I don't like the Gucci feature on that. I thought Gucci kind of phoned in, but I think Wiz, because it's a little more melodic, like a singy rap, I thought it was really cool. I like that from Wiz, especially now, and then there's other songs that just they go in one ear and out the other My favorite yeah. song still probably hopeless romantic with sway lee first song i heard from the album and i think it's probably one of the better sway performances of the year better than a lot of swaycation but again that's more of sway's track than Wiz's, to be honest
0: yeah to, to kind of jump off the the hopeless romantic i actually went back to swaycation and was like is this song actually from that album because i it sounded just like it could have been and i thought sway was great on it but yeah i wouldn't really give that that song to Wiz, even though it's on this album you know i thought rolling papers too the title track was was pretty good and it, it leads nice nicely into mr williams which i thought was like a change up in sound for him that was a little bit airier and he tried some stuff which i thought was interesting gin and drugs which i mean yeah if you want to be the snoop dog of our generation i guess ripping off gin and juice <laughs> r- right there is a good way to do it um and, I, you know, Snoop Dogg on Penthouse, I also thought was nice. Um, I, It was an enjoyable song for me. It's funny because I, the Gucci Man thing, I was excited to hear him because I was like, oh, maybe this will infuse a little bit of energy. And like you said, he really phoned it in.
1: It, just, it didn't even fit the vibe on Wiz's portion no. of the song either. It was just like copy paste Gucci feature from the email. Like that's all it was.
0: And, you know, you mentioned it, it, it's a lot of filler. I ended up looking halfway through and I was like, oh, it's almost, this has to be almost over. And so was,
1: <laughs> Ten more songs. Yeah, it was
0: rough. <laughs> it's interesting. We talked about this a little bit last week. Drake dropped this this bloated double album. Then we got 25 songs from Wiz. Dillard Juck's position is these much more shortened, almost EP-length albums. What do you think is the actual trend going to be here? Do you think people are going to move towards the shorter or towards those big lots of song albums
1: great question i think the trend is to make the long album because it's more financially mm-hmm. beneficial to you especially yeah. when you're a big artist when you're already gonna get a lot of attention until we actually see any evidence of i think the short seven track album is just going to be kanye's idea is anyone else actually going to do that mm-hmm. when when we get the i mean little skies is featured on here he's on wiz's tour When we get the little skies debut album that shit ain't going to be seven tracks he needs to right. get that paper still too long is probably going to be more common than too short unfortunately and you know you know it's funny 7 tracks and 25 tracks what's a happy medium i don't know 14 a normal album length right <laughs> i don't know if we're going to get much resolution anytime soon
0: yeah it's it, until they can really figure out the the right way to calculate the streaming numbers it's they're going to go more towards the longer ones unfortunately which i i would prefer them to do like 9 tracks like if somehow you can like rig it so people are doing 9 tracks i feel like that's the right way and that's
1: the them. thing like the the billboard changes that we mentioned you know a few weeks ago when they or over a month ago now when they unveiled them and recalculate uh, how the charts get affected that's in effect now D- D- drake's first scorpion week was the first week for that but the charts are changed that way but i mean having a lot of tr- tracks still means there's more tracks to get played and get you paid that hasn't right. changed so there's still more incentive there's still more incentive to have a, a long album than there you know is to have a short album you know even if the charts are not as benefited by it as they were a few weeks ago
0: uh, so we'll, we'll we'll see uh What do we got look look, to look forward to music next week? Anything? The Internet
1: Hive Mind Ah, album.
0: That'll be a good one. Looking forward to that. Something I've been looking forward to. I guess a movie made by a rapper, Boots Riley's "Sorry to Bother You," starring Lakeith Stanfield, Tessa Thompson, Stephen Yoon. Which Mm -hmm. I mean, shout out Glenn. Great fucking look for him.
1: Congratulations. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And <laughs> also great look for Boots Riley. His debut as a right, you know, debut movie, writing directing. I thought he, he killed it. It's it's not quite, I guess, uh, Jordan Peele level, although people have been comparing this to get There's out.
1: There's a lot of a uh, lot of comparisons to get out and Boots Riley's debut compared to jordan peele's debut there's a lot of similarities for sure
0: but definitely up there when did you see this movie and what was your reaction leaving
1: it yeah i saw this last friday Hmm. second weekend of release i mean the first weekend was i think just new york and la only a handful of theaters and it's still not really that wide yet but it's making really good business at all the theaters which is great to see for a you know non-blockbuster film but you know i fucking love this movie i thought it's incredibly unique incredibly engaging freaking original and entertaining serious and funny got everything and of course, great actors that we already like. So, to not spoil anything, because I know that we'll get into the spoilers because they're, they're out there, but <laughs> yeah. this is a movie that should not be skipped. And it's going to be in a big theater near most people. So, take advantage of that. And you want to support movies like this when they come out. This is so unique and such a total original creation from Boots Riley. He wrote the movie, I think, 2011, 2012 time. So, finally mm-hmm. got it made with great talent. And you got to uh, support that when it happens.
0: Yeah, he has a lot to say. I mean, if, if you know anything about his uh, funk rap uh, group, the coup, mm-hmm. uh, the coop, I don't, I don't coop, know exactly coop. if it's the coup or the coop. Um, but yeah, they, it's a political group. They have a lot to say. They have you know they try to get a lot of points across in their music, which I think is is great. And this movie touches on a lot of things. I mean, just to give like the broad overview, touched on capitalism, uh, racism, uh, social. Uh, classism and socialism Mm -hmm. there's a lot there to look at and i i started off the movie i forgot to pay uh for my parking so i started off uh, and i was like oh fuck i'm gonna get a ticket and like i was just thinking about that the whole time this movie started and i was like i'm not even gonna be able to enjoy this movie now because of this god damn it (laughs) like immediately pulled me in was like super engaging i've totally forgot about it which I, i think is a great compliment to the movie that like, something that was causing me that that much stress beforehand, I was able to just totally take that away. Um, I left feeling, just like trying to figure out, like, what was this movie really trying to say? And I think it's hard to really summarize it and, and, and explain it to, you know, someone that hasn't seen it, because it's trying to say so much. Yeah, I, I think it's um,
1: multiple messages, not one, you know, cohesive mm-hmm. message or anything.
0: Exactly. Um. And I, but I thought it was great, and, you know, to, to your point, a lot of people we liked, and I already mentioned the... Probably the three headliners, but Army Hammer, our, our guy from uh, call me by your name last year, yep. just being the most Army Hammer he can throwing be. fucking
1: fastballs from end Dude. of act two on. <laughs> yeah, he
0: he was like born to play that role, like, yeah, he, for sure. W- w- Winklevoss twins on, on cocaine, uh, and that <laughs> also. I mean, even just like like the voice work, like, Patton Oswald and David Cross were great, yeah. Uh, Lily James also was good for the little bit that she was, you know, uh, mm-hmm. the voice acting in it. And I didn't even know Forrest Whitaker was uh, one of the the people you see at the end. Yeah, uh, the I, end
1: I didn't know that either until I looked it up.
0: Crazy, crazy. Um, all right, we're probably gonna get into spoilers here in a second. So if for some reason you're still, you're listening or checking this out and you don't want to have this spoiled for you, uh, come back to yeah. it after you see the movie. Got those time uh, codes going.
1: below. So come back.
0: Yeah. Check it out. All right, so, I mean, it, this is a probably a dystopian satire to, um, the, like, the most, exa- like, biggest example that it mm-hmm. can be. Um, but I thought that, that the thing I, I took away from this movie the most is Boots Riley has a great eye for shooting. And I had moments where I was like, oh, that reminds me of David Lynch. Or, oh, that mm-hmm. reminds me of Sam Eshmael from sure, Mr. Robot. Yeah. And a lot of vibes in like the color work and like the way that that he would frame things yeah um, or like the way he would use close ups uh, and i think especially like the the party scene at steve Loft's house mm-hmm. you know with with cash and and yep uh, you know lucy feel army hammer getting to do a lot there i thought there was like just a ton of really beautifully shot things juxtaposed with detroit's uh, art display yeah for uh, sure but w- what stood it out to you most about boots riley's yeah work here
1: yeah, I mean, to that point, uh, 61 locations for the film in a 28-day shoot. Really ambitious. <laughs> and also, on top of that, you, you when you watch it, they change costumes a lot, which is um, yeah. extra challenging for the director because it makes the edit harder if you want to re- remove ce- put scenes around, you know? And, like, Detroit's makeup changes a lot throughout it. Mm-hmm. So it's just like they didn't hold anything back with making the film, which I thought was uh, be admirable because, again, he's a rookie filmmaker. and uh, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think... The way um the way it moves from scene to scene is just it's like really like kinetic like it's almost like really action. it's not an action movie it's not not like mm. but you know it feels like a lot's going on all the time and you know I mean when he wakes up in his like new apartment and there's like the triple windows thing it's like the way it's framed and you see the outside then you see uh, cash and uh, really cool it's just really really cool and it's really like aesthetically pleasing like I thought the movie was so engaging because of the dialogue obviously and Uh, what's actually happening in the plot but also it's just really fun to watch you know it's just like the the street corner scenes the bar scenes anything it's just it's all it's all like fucking beautiful you know
0: yeah yeah absolutely um it's beautifully shot i also thought i mean how how ambitious of him to also do the soundtrack for this with Mm -hmm. with his band um which i thought fit the movie perfectly um who who was your biggest scene stealer for this movie which I felt like there were a couple for me, but I want to see what what stood out to you.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, he's he feels excellent as Cassius Green. He's the lead, obviously, and shout out to him. He didn't get an Emmy nomination yeah. for Darius from Atlanta, but this is his first true role. A lot of people probably first became aware of him from Get Out, but again, that's a small part for him. And so I'm really happy that he got this look, and he does a lot a lot of work with this because his character does grow and does change throughout the film. And... You know, I think he does awesome but he's also kind of the, the plot mover so it's tough for him to be the scene stealer. Um right. Tessa's great, really great. Yep. She's great in everything. Selma, Dear White People, Creed, Westworld, Thor 3, Annihilation. Now sorry to bother you. She's on a great run. And I best just like best. I just like watching her act, you know. Yep. Um Creed 2 later this year, same thing. Um mm-hmm. But I, you know the, problem with the scene stealer for me is when uh, David Cross speaks; the white voice comes out really for the first time, and, and then like obviously it's spoiled by the trailer. But, like when you see that, like the right. movie just totally like turns it up to eleven at that point on. Once <laughs> the path to being a power caller happens, and oh, then I'm yeah. just like, "Fuck, dude, this is this rules," you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: and and the way the way he shoots it too. I mean, the way it drops cash into the person's yeah. home, and you see them like kind of interacting. Great idea. Kind of not interacting. Great idea. So so clever seeing them like like celebrating you know him with his like manager or whatever it was like and he, they would be like jumping around dancing like at one point he's like holding him as he's like celebrating just like amazing and the way it kind of takes off from there is great and not only with you know cash's development but the conflict uh and kind of what the whole movie was trying to say in general i thought it was great you know who really stole a lot of scenes for me was uh, Kate Berlant. She played Diana Debauchery. Oh yeah, Deboucher, De- 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 I think she said. <laughs> yeah, Debauchery. Yeah, <laughs> yeah De Um But like when she was talking, that whole yeah. like staff meeting was freaking hilarious. Oh yeah, like, everybody in the dude with the tattoos.
1: Um, yeah. I wasn't sure the that murder. Yeah. yeah, did he have tattoos the whole time? Because I didn't notice him in his first appearance. Then I saw them, I was like, oh, did those like? Did he have get tattoos for the next scene? You know, I had to rewatch I, something it. Something
0: I wasn't really paying attention. I, yeah, to. me I'll either. Keep my eye out for that. But yeah, he uh, um, all those
1: uh, people were uh, were fun. Yeah, especially attack um, his first interview scene, which is like the first scene in yeah. the movie.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I thought. I mean, yeah, that's really yeah, great.
0: That was great too. But uh, Kate Burnley also in the elevator, Yeah. like just the way that she's like basically like trying to show uh, Cash that she's sexually attracted to him, but like <laughs> very like subtly. And then the elevator. Yeah,
1: the which, whole the, first great of all, bit.
0: Shout out Rosario Dawson, like being the voice for that. What? But <laughs> so freaking funny. Um, yeah, and then Omari Hardwick, too, I thought was, uh, was really great, especially when he finally stops talking in the white voice. I yes, like, thought that was really effective. Great moment. Really earned. Yeah, definitely. Um, I know, what, what other scenes stood out to you? What else did you really like about the movie? I
1: think my favorite scene is the rap scene. At Army Hammer's house, because mm. like you're watching the movie and like you, you get like the social, the social uh, message, you know, social comedy satirizing uh, capitalism in the workplace and whatnot. Yeah. You know, talking to your boss, all that stuff. That, that's that's pretty present because it, you know, go, you know, is there the whole time. And then mm-hmm. Detroit's performance thing has you know a different angle, and you get that. And then the rap scene, you don't really, you don't really see that another another message, another proclamation is coming until like right before it happens. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, it starts out it's like, oh, it's like this is like a Paul and like a, you know, like like dance for me, you know, like black minstrel shit, right? And it's like, okay, I see mm-hmm. that. And then he brings in the rap music, and I'm like, oh, and I'm watching him struggle, and I'm like, ah, oh, just like say Gucci Gang. And sure enough, you know, he goes into the thing, mm-hmm. and I'm like, wow, that's equal parts a comedy on uh, poor songwriting in contemporary rap mm-hmm. music. And then when the white people say it back to him, I'm like, oh, and that's also like the uh, takeover of rap by white people in the mainstream. It's yeah. like, wow, there's so much here, you know? Mm-hmm. And it was also entertaining that, watching LaKeith uh, do the scene. So yeah, and, that really uh, brought mean, it home for me.
0: Yeah, that was, I mean, there there was a lot in that scene. And just that, like I said, the whole party scene in general was like overwrought with metaphor, <laughs> you know, in a, in a lot of ways. I, I thought a, a scene that... um i really liked a lot was uh when he was going to talk with steve loft about you know the proposition to become like the next martin luther king of the equi yep. and just like you know like all the different colored doors uh the whole like back and forth that's conversation. not jade it's <laughs> olive <laughs> yeah i know that that was just hilarious in general but it was just like in the way that they shot it and you kind of start to see Steve Loft really coming. I mean, you already saw him as a douchebag when he like first mm-hmm. approached him and was like, you know, like, oh, you can't use your like real voice here. And then he's like, oh, I'm just kidding with you. Um, I thought that was a really amazing scene. Um, also, I, I like how they they made a commentary on like TV shows and how like pop culture in in right. what we take in every day really yeah. plays an impact. There's so much to really break down.
1: And w- once Cash uh, like spills the beans on the Equus Sapiens yeah. thing, right, with the proof from the video, what mm-hmm. happens? Like he just raises the profile and the stocks go up. I'm like, oh wow, that's another thing where like you know bad publicity is good publicity, and uh, wow. popularity d- usually just helps. You know, so, uh, there, <laughs> yeah. there's so many so many little threads. Sometimes they're just acknowledged or shown to you, and other times they're really uh, move move through with. You know, is really impressive and i mean the whole third act with echo sapiens thing i know uh boots Wiley was saying that some people he would share the script with because again he wrote the script a while ago uh they'd be like oh no, that's too far oh now you lost me yeah. you know but again to his credit his first movie he stuck to his guns and he was able to get this full movie made and i don't know about you but like when i first saw like that fucking massive horse schlong on top of the horse i was like, <laughs> "Oh, wow." Now now we're in this shit. Like now we're here. Yeah. And I didn't think we could get even any more absurd cuz that was our, that was like act 3, you know. But it, it went for it. It's...
0: Seeing the the look Army Hammer had when he said, "You get a horse cock." was maybe <laughs> like one of my favorite moments of the year cuz you could just tell how like excited he was to like deliver that line. It's pretty crazy. Um yeah, the the Equisapien thing is definitely interesting. I think people are going to take it different ways, but I thought it, I thought it made and kind of hammered home a lot of the points he was, you know, trying to, yep. to touch on throughout. So I, I have no problem with it. Um, what did you think about the relationship between Cash and, and Detroit, but then Detroit and Squeeze, and how that wasn't even really touched upon by the end? That was something that kind of stood out to me as I wasn't hmm. so sure about.
1: Yeah, I, I I really liked how their their relationship pr- progressed and then, uh I guess, ended uh, as the movie went on, just because they both felt like fleshed out characters with real personalities and Mm -hmm. they didn't have like a traditional like nuclear relationship per se, even though he called her his fiance. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, that's a good point. They do kind of just reconcile due to crisis, I suppose. Right. Um, interesting point. I I would like to rewatch the end because I think at that point I'm just watched. It's just so much in your face shit by that point Mm -hmm. that, yeah, it's a good, good point. How does that relationship really, end you know how does it how does it stand up as the movie concludes good point
0: yeah yeah that, that was something that stood out to me i also um i also really liked and this is i we have kind of overlooked him but jermaine fowler as sal mm-hmm. in the movie was hilarious i thought like i thought especially when they would be like out in like uh talking amongst the friends he always stood out to me as like he's stealing a lot of these things. and
1: then that scene where Cassius decides to go to work because he's a power caller now and they have that argument where they're just one upping them each other with the compliments, right? Mm-hmm. Uh I was like, that's hilarious. Yeah, that yeah. guy I mean, the whole cast is full of charismatic performers and he, even uh Danny Glover. Not in there a whole lot, but you know, when he's like, Hey young blood, you know, and just goes through yeah. there. <laughs> like, yeah, hell it's like yeah, so good.
0: <laughs> It's actually funny when you mention the, like, I hope you have a nice day off. Like, you see on Twitter a lot, like, you know, the I want to be like you, <laughs> like, oh, they, a lot of people have now. Um, I mean, there, there's so much here, and I feel like we could really talk about and dissect the movie for a long time. But, I mean, this made $4.3 million uh, world, uh, worldwide first first weekend or mm-hmm. first large opening weekend. So, uh, I hope this continues to make money, and, and I hope Boots Riley gets a bigger budget for his, his next project. I know he definitely wants to make more um any last thoughts on just this movie in general see it for sure
1: oh yeah absolutely see it um no nah, i mean these are these are the movies that you know you hope don't go away due to the mm-hmm. uh event evenivization of uh, the audience you know the majority of right eighty percent of film film goers go twice a year to the two biggest movies of the year and that's it You know, Mm -hmm. and you hope that movies like this don't fall by the wayside. And what's really happening is that movies like this aren't going away per se, they're just costing less. So they have a lower bar of success, like Blumhouse' model. So, uh, but yeah, when these movies are good, everyone tells you it's good, and all the audiences like it too, uh, you got to support these films. So please go see this movie. I've been telling people about it. Like, I think it's actually coming out at a great time, uh, especially with a Mm -hmm. skyscraper uh, underperforming for The Rock. You know, uh, after you saw Ant-Man, waiting for something, going to talk about 8th grade next week. But uh, in the meantime, see Sorry to Bother
0: You. Definitely see Sorry to Bother You. I just hope these movies also keep getting a lot of big-name actors to be in them. You know, like, you look last year, you had Daniel Kaluuya, who really broke out with Get Out, but he had, he was establishing himself. And you also had uh, Allison Williams. But in that movie, I mean, who else is big-name? No one really. So I think this is a step in the right direction for these kind of size movies that more... Uh, bigger name people want to be making them we're gonna wrap up there for the week let's talk about what we're gonna be talking about next week we have eighth grade we have the internet
1: you'll finally get to a record you've been cooking slow cooking in the oven snail mail lush
0: yeah i mean it's it's fully baked at this point it's just drying on the <laughs> cooling on the heating rack we'll be talking about that maybe the uh the dirty projectors or the deaf haven album as well if we need uh, something sure. else to get
1: to yep there's there's a few other smaller albums there mac miller announced a new album coming out the same day as yg's stay dangerous august 3rd so excited for that down the pipe
0: more excited for that yg album fuck yeah way more succession <laughs> is also going to be coming to an end pretty soon right what 10 episodes yeah so top of august like seven. we'll get
1: to a full season yeah. review in short we both like the show
0: yeah the it's awesome Definitely catch up on that so you can uh, listen along with us. But yeah, anything else you want to talk about? Hit us up at Nostalgia Pod. Hit Dave up at Martin Swagger and myself at Shiny World Peace. Uh, Dave also did a podcast with his friend Jono Peck uh, talking about NBA basketball. It's really great. Give it a listen. Also uh, give Dave and Jono a follow um, for any NBA insight you might want to have. And yeah, give us a rating, review on iTunes, and uh, follow us on on YouTube. It really helps. But until we meet again, peace Stick out. Stick to
1: the script.